And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I have four kids, and uh, many of you know that. And my four kids, they, they kind of go through phases on which one likes to go places with me. But there's one constant in the family. Roman always likes to go everywhere with me. He just goes everywhere with me. And if you know Roman, that's kind of part of his personality. And one of the places we frequent together is Home Depot. I mean, I should take out stock because I spend a lot of money at Home Depot, like some of you guys as well. Uh, so the way it goes in Home Depot is, is we're you know, shopping, getting stuff to fix the house, and, and then we get to the checkout line. And that's where Roman just kind of turns it on, right? Because I don't, I don't know if you've realized at, the, at, the, at the, the store, the checkout line, that like from about three feet to about 18 inches down, there's, this, there's this, these rows of all of these treasures for children. You know what I'm talking about? You know, there are all these candies and all these things. And every single time that we go there, Roman's like, I want the entire, like I don't want just a pack of M&M's, I want the entire box of M&M's, right? And he brings it and he, he kind of hands it to me. And every single time without fail, I'm like, Roman, like you can't have the M&M's. And he's like, oh, dad. And he goes through this kind of big thing. And, and what I realize is that um, my prayer life is a lot like Roman uh, at, at the line at, at Home Depot because I, what I expect God to do is to give me the box of M&M's. But as a father... When you look at your children, you know that the best thing for them is not what? The box of M&M's, right? It's not the best thing for them. And what I've found is that even after we get away from Home Depot and we're driving home in the truck, like he forgets all about it. He doesn't, he's not asking about it anymore. And his confidence in dad isn't shaken, right? Because I didn't give him the box of M&M's. But it doesn't keep him from asking, right? I think, guys, I think what God is leading us into through prayer today uh, is that, that while the goal of our prayer often is a box of M&M's, whatever it would be you know, for us, uh, God is, is so good that He's always going to give us what's best for us and for His kingdom. And, and there's going to be a lot of times when we walk away from that and we don't understand what's going on. Um, and so the big idea of where we're going today is this, is that um, prayer is how we grow confidence in a loving God. Say that again. Prayer is how we grow confidence in a loving God. So a lot of times we think about prayer and we think about an activity of something that we do for something that we're asking for. I think, I think God is often in prayer after something in us more than He is something through us. But the way that Jesus works is it's kind of all together with us. So as we look at this today, I've got just three things that I want to say about Matthew 7 uh, that the Lord has led me to today. And it's... it's uh, it's the promise of prayer, the problem of prayer, and the plan of prayer. Um, and so the way we're going to look at this scripture in Matthew 7 is we're going, to start, we're going to start in verse 11, and we're actually going to work our way backwards to verse 7, because I think he kind of gives us the promise at the end, uh, and, and we're going to work back through it. So let's, let's dig in here. The promise of prayer, God loves us, and, and really he wants us to need him. 
Like that, that's the whole desire of his heart is he wants to be needed by us. He wants us to be dependent upon him. And so uh, Jesus says then this, uh, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to look at the context of Matthew 7 here. So Matthew 7 um, what we, what, we, what we are tempted to believe about this verse right here is that it's just kind of this genie-in-a-bottle approach to prayer, this cosmic slot machine approach to prayer where we throw in a prayer and God gives us what we ask for, right? But the, the context of Matthew 7 here is a bit interesting because Matthew 7 is really all about judgment. You look, last week we looked about judgment about the, the plank and the speck and how the plank and the speck were really um, about how God calls us to judge ourselves before we ever make a judgment about someone else. And then, and then Matthew 7 will go on to talk about judging the, the, the fruit of people's lives. And, and he'll go on to, to talk about how, um, you, you know, how, how some, some folks will, will, will think their entire lives that, that, that really that the kingdom of heaven is, is for them, but their lives have never really looked like the kingdom of heaven and how they'll be judged. And so here we find this, this verse about prayer right in the middle of all of these things that are about judgment, that are really convicting to our hearts that we're going to continue looking at. And, and I think the primary emphasis of this, this, these verses here are to, to give us hope for our weary hearts when we look at how helpless we are. Because we think about judgment of others and we think, God, how could I ever, how could I ever even live and, and be godly in my life if I'm not able, you know, I've, I've got, I'm always looking at the, the, the plank in my eye and, and, and the speck and all this, and I think we find ourselves in this helpless place. And, and I think he's saying with these scriptures that we find grace in God. Ask and He'll give us grace. Seek and you'll find grace. Knock and, and, and He'll deliver grace to you. I think He's what He's saying in the middle of that. So we want to be careful not to have this cheap misinterpretation of what this verse actually means. Now there's other places where, where, where he, talk, he tells us to ask, like in the book of James, where, where, where He calls us to ask upon the things that are in our hearts. And so we do that. But the thing we've got to be cautious of, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, guys, is we've got to be cautious not to lose confidence in God when he hears and he answers differently than we think that he should. Right? Because all of us have, we have the thing with Mariel that we're all thinking about right now. We're all broken about. Um, and then you have the things in your life too that are just unresolved. And you think you know what the answer is and it doesn't seem like God is doing it. And so you begin, you're tempted to doubt about who God is and what He's done. What he's saying in Matthew 7 here is, is that God is mysteriously good toward us even though we've been terribly evil toward Him. When he says in Matthew 7, 11, he says, if then you who are evil. I mean, it's kind of like a gut punch, right? He's not just talking about a group of people. He's talking about you as a collective. You know, Genesis 6, when God looked down and He saw mankind, He saw that they were always and only sinning. Jeremiah 7, the human heart is deceitfully, Jeremiah 17 rather, the human heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. He's, he's saying, listen, if you who have an evil nature who's being worked out and sanctified by God's goodness, know how to good give, give good gifts, imagine what it's like for God who doesn't have these mixed motives. 
that swirl around in his, in his head and his heart. He's always only thinking 100% good for our lives and for his kingdom. That's what he's, that's what he's saying here. But it requires for us, church, tremendous humility to keep on needing God for everything, doesn't it? We, we assume that maturity is equal to self-reliance. That we should be able to grow more and more independent of God. And, and, and really what the Scriptures show us is that really He's seeking to grow us in dependence of Him. The, the, the promise of prayer is that even though we relate to God through our needs and our dependence of Him, no matter what we're praying and no matter how the answers come, we get God. That's the promise. is the relationship that we have uh, with God. S- Sam Storms says uh, this is a, is a friend of mine who's in our actually non-church planning network. He says, we must not allow ourselves to believe that God will do for us apart from prayer what He has promised to do for us only through prayer. Think about that. I mean, how many times for us is seeking God in prayer? I mean, this week, if I'm honest with you, is, is the hardest that I've ever prayed in my life. It is. You've had weeks like this too. Maybe this, it's, it's been this week for you. I don't know. But I keep... You know what happens? No matter what the, the outcomes of the prayers are, I keep getting God. That's the beauty that God is working out something not only in His kingdom, but in our hearts as we, as we seek Him. And, and what I realize over and over again is that I don't pray until I'm real desperate. And, and really, if God were real kind to me, He would make me more desperate more often. You know, that's what, that's what a kind and loving God will do is He will make you more desperate more often because you will need Him more often. You will seek His face. You will knock more often and you will ask to be filled with Him. I have to think about the story where Jesus sends out the 72 disciples. Well, we can look at it real quick from, from Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read this. I want, what I want you to look at from Luke 10 is how Jesus sends His disciples out, but then also what they celebrate when they come back, and then how Jesus addresses what they're celebrating. So let's look at this real quick. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1-12, through 12, and then also 17-20 through 20 in Luke 10. Scriptures say this, and After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of Him, two by two into every town and place where He Himself was about to go. And He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And listen to how He sends them out. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Don't carry any money bag with you. Don't carry any extra money. No knapsack, extra clothes. No sandals. And, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. Okay, this is, this is huge for a Jew, right? Strict dietary laws. He says, eat, I don't care. Eat whatever's in front of you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, we know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day than for Sodom than than for this town. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, the 72 return with joy. So they come back off of their mission. They return with joy. And listen to what they celebrate. Lord, 
Even the demons are subject to us in Your name. Like We just tack on Your name. Look what's happening. And Jesus says to them, look, look, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Jesus' response right here, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in how I answer your prayers. Or I don't answer your prayers. I mean, because what if they would have walked back and they had a different experience. They walked back like the seven sons of Sceva in Acts when they try to cast out a demon and they're naked and bloody. What if they walked back like that? He's saying it doesn't matter. What he's saying is that we're to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. That our identity is in Christ is where we rejoice, is where we rest. The most effective way to live in the kingdom of God is to need God for everything. That's why he sends them out and he says, listen, I know you've got extra stuff. Don't take any of it with you. Because the best thing for you is to be ridiculously dependent upon me for everything. And so he sends them out this way. So church, what I want you to know about the promise of prayer is that we get God even though there are times when we don't get what we ask for. We get God. The promise is not the outcome of our prayer, but it's the one we pray to. We have relationship with Him. And even, even though we, we relate God hearing our prayer to God answering them the way that we want Him to answer them, just because the things that we pray for don't happen the way that we think they should happen, it does not mean that God is not hearing us. It does not mean that God is not answering us. Because the promise is that He does. He always does. And that's why trusting in the outcomes of our prayers can be such a trap for us when our joy is on that. But, but let, me, let, me, let me couple that with this caveat. God still wants us to be desperate for the things that we pray for. He doesn't want us to just be this, this kind of spiritual being that doesn't really think through the physical. It's always both and. I mean, this, think about Jesus and Lazarus, okay? If you're unfamiliar with the story, Jesus uh, is friends with Mary, Martha, and uh, Lazarus. And Lazarus uh, is getting ready to die. And Jesus, Jesus comes. Uh, they come to Jesus. He's in a different town. Um, and, and, and she says, one of the sisters says, hey, come and, and heal. And, uh, and Jesus stays two more days where he's at. And Mary and Martha are just really frustrated with Jesus because Lazarus ends up passing away in this time. The first thing that Jesus does when he gets on the scene with Mary and Martha in this weeping and grieving house is what? He weeps. First thing he does. He weeps. He cries. He mourns what's happened. He goes on to raise him, but I don't think the most significant thing about that story is the physical resurrection of Lazarus. I think that's what we, we look at and we remember is that Jesus raised him from the dead. But guess what? Lazarus went on to die physically. But spiritually, he did not. And that's the, that's the beauty and the truth is that we get God and He hears us. We go on and, and we look at this. We've already kind of addressed this to the problem of prayer. And I think that the breakdown of our prayer life 
is this, that we keep forgetting who God is. I mean, maybe 99% of the, the, the difficulty we have in prayer is we forget who God is. Matthew 7, 9-10 through 10 says this, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will get a serpent. But guys, doesn't that feel like we get what we get sometimes? We ask for bread, we get a, a box of rocks. We ask for fish, we get a bag of snakes, right? That's what prayer feels like sometimes. And, and what the enemy wants to do, because the battle is always against flesh and blood predominantly. Or it's not against flesh, flesh and blood predominantly. It's, it's a spiritual battle. The enemy wants to come in and twist and distort the situation to make it between us and God. And the conflict is in this, is it's in what's what we what we think is promised and, and what is apparently in front of us. We struggle with this tension and we think, how can it be, God? Where are you, God? What are you doing? Are you hearing us, God? And I've felt this week, like Matthew seven, nine and ten, as I've witnessed the echoes of the fall just rattling in the bones of my friends and the you know, in, in my heart as well and in my family. I just I think about that and it troubles me. And it troubles me most because I tend to forget who God is in those moments. I think the best thing that we can do in those moments, and some of you are going through one of those moments right now, whether it be just a crisis in your family, a crisis in our church, a crisis of belief in your own heart, is to be honest. There's this, there's this interview that, uh, this is not my notes by the way, this is kind of a, a little bit of an off script morning, but um, there's this interview between Bono, who's the U2 lead singer, you guys know who he is, and, uh, and Eugene Peterson, who is a, is a great Christian author, and they're talking about the Psalms. And Bono um, and, and Eugene are talking about it, and they're talking about Christian music, and uh, Bono says, Somehow the, the topic comes up of what do you think about Christian music and you two and the U2 singer Bono says, you know, the thing that disheartens me most about most Christian music is it's so dishonest. It's all happy clappy when life is not always happy clappy, right? You see David, we transition here to Psalm 13. We see David on the run for his life. So he has packed up his family, he has packed up his things, and these guys are hiding in a cave in the middle of the wilderness. And so you think, you think David comes to God and says, God, thank you so much for what you're doing to my family and, and what you're allowing to happen and, and your sovereign plan. Thanks so much for it. No. No, no, no. Listen to how he answers. This, this, is, this is what troubled me so much about the Psalms when I used to read it. Is that I would read the Psalms and I would say, come on, David, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Just believe a little more, David. But then when you struggle, right? And you suffer you begin to see the beauty of the struggle and the tension and how God remains the same in our struggle. So he, David prays like this, How long, O oh Lord? You're going to forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. 
Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over David. I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. How often do you pray like that? Then he remembers God. He remembers God as he's wrestling through his relationship with God. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, he says. My heart, it shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So what happens in David's heart in that last verse? What happens there? Holy Spirit awakens him to remember God. Most of the issues with our relationship with God is we forget who He is because what is in front of us seems so different than what's promised to us. And church, this is how the kingdom grows. When you meet God in the cave of emotional darkness in your life, it changes you forever. You don't return the same. As we've been saying in our family, the, the detour, what you thought was just like a little side road, it becomes the new path. You begin to embrace it. And when you see Him in a pit, when you see Him in the dark night of the soul standing next to you, that's how confidence in the love of God grows. See, what we want to believe is that if I just read a little bit more of a, of a book, read a little bit more even of the Scriptures, that I should just believe it and it should just all be up here and I should, just, I should be good to go. It's naive because the way that God works in our lives and His Spirit is He works in real time in our hearts through our situations, our circumstances, and our experiences as we pursue God's Word, God's Spirit, and God's people. That's how He grows us. That's how He set this whole thing up. It's for us to struggle together and to seek Him, to feel our way forward in what feels like the darkness toward the light. That's how He set it all up for us. Here's a question I have for you. If we believe that God loved us and always showed His love to us in the best way possible, how would that change us? If we believed, if we really believed that God loved us and that because He loved us, He would always show His love to us in the best possible way, how would that change us? What would that do in you? God seems to be okay with the mystery a lot more than we are, doesn't He? Are you okay this morning placing your hands and your life in the hands of a mysterious God that even though we've been wicked to Him through our sin, He has been gracious to us through His mercy? Are you okay with placing your hands, your life in His hands? Are you okay with seeking Him? Even though sometimes your prayers look like Psalm 13, right? How long, O oh Lord? Because He's okay with it. And in fact, he will, he will deepen you as you seek Him in that way. He always does. Lastly, church, is the plan of prayer. You think about... We think a lot of times about persistence being a problem. Like, God, I've been praying... Like, so let me, let me just share a little bit of my backstory. Uh, I was the first Christian in my family and um, came to faith somewhere around the age of 14 and um, 
And since then, uh, I've, been, I've been praying for some people in my life. I prayed for my mom for four years. My mom became a believer after four years. Seeking the Lord daily. Prayed for my uncle for 10 years. He came to faith. Been praying for my dad for 17 years. He's still not yet a believer. And we think, in my heart, I think it's a, I go in and out of these stages where I'm like, man, I'll be seeking the Lord every day for my father. And then other days I'll, I'll just grow tired, I'll grow weary. You think, how long, God? How long do I have to keep praying for this? And I think in my heart that persistence is a problem. God, why do you keep making me ask for this? Right? So we think, we're like, what? If, if, I, if, if I was in the favor of God and He really loved me, He would answer a lot more quickly, right? So we think it's a problem. He says, ask, seek, knock. Have you noticed how those, there's a progression in the prayer, right? In the plan. There's, there's asking, there's, there's acknowledging neediness and humility, there's, there's, there's seeking. That means a continual thought of responsibility towards seeking whatever it is. And then there's knocking, right? Knocking is this actual activity that we participate in, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit as we seek God's will, right? There's this progression of intensity that we see. Here's what I'm realizing about <clears throat> prayer is that the method that Jesus tells us to pray in, we know the content of what He calls us to pray through through the Lord's Prayer, but the method of praying, it should embarrass us, if we're honest. I'm serious. It should embarrass us at how desperate He calls us to be. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples from the Scriptures. Uh, one, one I'm going to tell you, the other one we're going to look at. If you've got a Bible, turn over to Luke 11. That's the second one we're going to look at. So Jesus likens uh, like, like how He calls us to pray with, with, this, with this story about this persistent widow. Okay, There's this lady who's been dealt an unjust you know, hand of cards, right? She's been dealt unjustly and there's this judge. Now, unfortunately, he's not a Christian judge. He's not a believing judge. He's an unrighteous judge. And so she, um, she seeks him and she's like, well, I don't have any favor in his sight. And so what she does is she, she continues to show up and knock on his door and ask him to give her justice. And eventually the story goes on to say that the judge, he didn't, he didn't give her her request because he had any mercy in his heart, any grace in his heart. He didn't come to the saving faith in God that we know about. But instead, because she nagged him. I'm not kidding. Well, okay, look. let's turn to Luke 11. I'll show you again. Luke 11, 5-8. Uh, through eight. <clears throat> So this, this is, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. Luke has an account of the Sermon on the Mount as well. Um, and this is right after the Lord's Prayer. So he says, you know, our Father in Heaven, He teaches them the model of prayer, the content of what they ought to be praying for. And then, um, right after this, uh, is the, the Ask, Seek, Knock verse that we're looking at in Matthew. So right in between that, here's what Jesus says. He said to them, verse 5, Luke 11, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. He'll kind of crack the door open, right? He'll crack the door open and what he'll say is this, hey, don't bother me. The door is, is now shut. My children, 
you're in bed with me. Don't you, don't you really care about my family? Like we're asleep in my house. And, and, and like I'm not going to wake everybody up because they're all sleeping in the same room probably. I'm not going to wake everybody up. What are you thinking? You know, psycho, you know. He says, I, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to give you anything, he says. And then Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, because he has mercy, grace, kindness, love in his heart, he won't give him anything because of that. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. It's a word we, we don't hear often. It's actually the only time it's in the Bible. You know what it means? His lack of sensibility to what's proper. His nagging. His, his, his lack of picking up on social cues, right? It's midnight, you know, okay, I'm not going to text, I'm not going to call, I'm not going to beat down the door. He says, no, 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 you need to view prayer completely differently than the way you've been. We don't approach God and say, hey God, maybe if, if you're interested, I don't know, I know it's kind of late, I don't know. You know. We don't approach Him that way. We beat down the door in prayer is what He's saying. It should be ridiculous and how, will, how far we're willing to go as we ask God, as we petition God. Because He can handle it. How much more would God delight in our shameless persistence in prayer? Shameless persistence. Embarrassing persistence in prayer. That's, that's the ideal prayer is what Jesus is saying. Which is completely different than the way I view prayer. If I'm honest, it, that struck me this week. I was shocked at how many times I found it coming up over and over and over in the Scriptures. You know that our repetition in prayer has a purifying effect on our petitions. Let me put it like this. We keep praying for what really matters, right? I think, I think Jesus knew that. Like when we seek God and we pray for Him, the things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, they kind of fall off. We don't continue petitioning God, but the things that really matter, we'll beat down the door for. And, and my hope for you this morning, church, is, is that you, you wouldn't grow weary in beating down the door. Whatever it is in your life. That you wouldn't grow weary, that you wouldn't think God is distanced because He has a plan to work something not only through your prayer, but in you as you pray. That's why he calls us to persist in our prayer. Prayer is how we grow in confidence in a loving God. It's how we relate to Him. How we experience His love. So the promise of God's love, you know what it does? It keeps us knocking. It keeps us knocking no matter what. I want to close with this Scripture from Isaiah 62. Verses... Uh, six through seven. Uh, in the book of Isaiah is about um, it's mostly about Israel going into Babylonian captivity because of their disobedience. But the end of Isaiah is about um, about what what God will do when He delivers them out of captivity. And, and so He's writing to these people that that are in captivity but are longing for the promise to be delivered from captivity. And here's how he tells them to approach God in the midst of that. I think it's really helpful. Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7. On your walls of Jerusalem, I've set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall not, never be silent. 
They should be calling out. They should be looking for the kingdom of God to advance. They should be looking for the enemy as he comes. They should be aware is what he's saying of what's going on. And he says this, You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. He said, don't give up. Take no, take no rest. Don't rest on petitioning Him. And then, then he goes on to say this, and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. What would it look like in your prayer life this week, in your relationship with God, for you to give Him no rest? It's a different way of looking at prayer, isn't it? What would it look like for, for us, church, no matter what it is, to give Him no rest as we seek His face and we trust that because He's a, a good Father and He'll always show His love to us in the best way possible? What would it look like and how would it change us? Let's pray together. Father, we, we give thanks this morning for, uh, for Your Word and how it... Uh, it just it just changes us, God. It it um, it gives us comfort and and uh, we just confess, God, that we are uh, emotionally a little bit all over the map this morning. But um, the more I read the Bible, the more I see how common that is. So we must be in a good place. So God, we seek Your face this morning. We we seek God. We seek You above all, the Giver of every good and perfect gift. And God, we pray against the mentality in our hearts to look at life and to think, why me? We pray against that, God. We pray that You would give us hearts of gratitude and great hope this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.